All right, good morning, everyone. As uh, we're continuing to pass out the offering bags, um, I just wanted to tell you guys that we're all about helping people follow Jesus. Did you know that? That's what we're all about here, and I hope that you know that because we want to help you follow Jesus. We also want to help those who don't even know Jesus yet follow him. So one of the ways we do that is making a big deal out of Easter. In your bulletins, hopefully you saw one of these cards. Do you have one of those? If you have one, pull it out. I want to see it in the air. I want to see these cards. Okay. These cards are not for you. Okay, yeah, you're invited, but we want you to take this invite to somebody else. So we really make a big deal out of this. We have a whole bunch of more cards out in the foyer on your way out. So grab some if you want to bring them to work, if you want to bring them to where you work out, if you want to bring them where you eat dinner or lunch right after this, bring them, hand them out, leave stacks places, because at the worst, somebody will pick it up and throw it away, but they'll have to read it first. That's what I say. So that's a good thing. We want to invite people because we're going to see this place packed on Easter Sunday, April 1st. And that's why we've added a third service that Sunday, 8 a.m. 8 a.m., 9.30, and 11. So make sure you notice that we're doing three services that day because we want people to have a place to sit. So because of that, I'm asking some of you, because you guys are the early risers in particular, that if you would, please come to the 8 a.m. service. Okay, now it's going to be like completely packed at 8 a.m. But that's good, too. We want you guys to come to 8 a.m. And if, if, if you're inviting someone else and they can only come at 11, that's fine. Come at 11 with them. We'll let you do that this time. But we encourage you to just think about coming to the 8 a.m. And when you come, also think about this. I'm getting this in your head. Maybe park outside of the parking lot. Okay, park down on the street and leave the spots in the lot for guests, people that it's going to be their first time. We really want to bring those people in to help them follow Jesus. So make sure you're keeping that in mind because redemption, the redemption that comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so powerful and can change hearts and minds. And we can be a part of that. So I hope that you guys will do that and be praying for it. Be praying for it because it's going to be good. Okay, so we are in our series again this morning, Seeing the Unseen as we talk about who Elisha was and what he did here on this planet. And aren't some of the stories involving Elisha crazy? They're like bizarre stories out there. They're some of the most dramatic stories in the entire Bible. And that's one of the reasons why we wanted to look at it, because a lot of people don't even know who Elisha is or that he existed. They're like, is that Elijah? No, no, no. We covered Elijah in the fall. That's a different guy. That was his predecessor. But Elisha came after, and he was this man of God, this prophet, and he was involved in some of the craziest times in all of human history, really. And today we're going to see one of those stories. We're going to see one of those stories. Somebody asked me, they're like, Matt, I'm, I'm eager to see how you're going to handle this one, because it's crazy. It's intense. And if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to 2 Kings chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 24 and then cover all of chapter 7. We're going to have the important verses up here on the screen if you don't have a Bible or if you don't have a smartphone to follow along. That's okay. We'll have the verses up here. And we're going to cover this, this section because it's a pretty wild story. But it's something that's talking about belief. And that's why I've titled this message, Seeing and Believing. Because don't we always say, a lot of us do, we say, if I could just see it, then I'd believe it. Right? If I could just see it, then I would believe it. And a lot of have that approach to faith. And they say, I would believe in Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world if I could see it, if, if I could have an encounter with him. I remember some time ago, a few years back, I was meeting with a young guy and he had just come through a crazy life situation. Really, he had been involved in some criminal activity. He was starting to get involved in worse criminal activity when he was robbed. And it was an armed robbery. And during this armed robbery, as they came in and tied him up and scared the stuff out of him, one of the guns accidentally discharged. 
And he got shot in this armed robbery. But it was really like a miracle because this bullet had gone through his body without causing any permanent damage. Really was a miracle when he showed me the trajectory of this bullet. And it, it like, like scared him, right? So he was in my office because of that. He's like, okay, what, what happened? What, you know, what is going on with this? And I, you know, I talked with them, listened to him for a while, and I said, hey, you know, maybe this, maybe this situation is the thing that's going to open up your eyes to change your life. Maybe God can come into your life now and, and change it so you're not living that way that's sinful and criminal and, and leading to a very destructive end. I mean, he'd already experienced it. So maybe this is your out. That bullet just went right through. And he said, you know, Matt, I think it could be, but I wish I just had one of those God experiences. I wish I could just see God. I wish I had this real encounter with him to know that he's real. And I said, you just had one? <laughs> but yet, he couldn't believe. It was tough for him. And it's tough for all of us at points in our lives to believe. Some harder than others. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Because we all just say, well, if I could see, then I would believe. But that's not always the case. That's not always the case. And, and what I really hope today is we talk about belief and belief that your eyes, your spiritual eyes, the eyes of your heart would be opened to the reality of God. That he has salvation ready and waiting for you in Jesus Christ. It is available for all. And I hope that you guys can see that today and that you would believe. I don't want anyone to leave here without believing in Jesus Christ. I want to challenge you for those of you who are unbelievers or struggling with doubt or saying, I'm not sure. This message is for you. Okay? So we're going to start this story, 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 24. So let's pick it up here. We read, Sometime later, Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, mobilized his entire army and marched up and laid siege to Samaria. There was a great famine in the city. The siege lasted so long that a donkey's head sold for 80 shekels of silver and a quarter of a cab of seed pods for five shekels. What? Okay, let me explain this. Okay, so let's look at this map again. Now, we've seen these two nations. They've been fighting back and forth. Peace, war, Israel, and Aram, which is modern-day Syria. And Samaria is the capital of Israel at the time. So these two nations are going back and forth. There's war, then there's peace, then there's war. A few weeks ago, we were introduced to Naaman, who was the head general in, in Aram, and that was a time of peace. And then last week, they were at war, right? And then there was peace. And now it says that sometime later, they're back at war. So this could be a span of 30, 40 years between last week's message and today's. Okay? And, and that's one thing about the Bible, because next week, we'll actually jump back in time. Sometimes narratives are out of order, and I think it's because... This week's message really builds upon last week when we were talking about seeing with what, what God is doing even when you can't see it now, right? That God is at work. So it builds on that, and that's why whoever was writing the Bible, this, this narrator, he put this story kind of right after that, even though next week we're going to jump back in time. So it says Ben-Hadad, and there's actually three kings in Aramean history named Ben-Hadad. So we think probably the last one, Ben-Hadad III, but Ben-Hadad is just like a title like Pharaoh. Okay, he was just the king. And in fact, it even means son of God. That's what it means. Because Ben-Hadad, Hadad was the god of the Arameans. He said son of God. So this is the title for the king. So he thinks he's up, right up there with God, right? And he's going to war with Israel, trying to conquer them, destroy them. And he has a great army. And he's coming and he surrounds Samaria, the capital of Israel. So this was a siege. And if you've ever read anything about history, sieges were awful. What happened is the, the cities would have big walls. They would have 
people standing on the walls with bows and arrows to shoot down anyone who came up to the wall. So it was very dangerous to attack a city. So instead, you would surround it with an army and starve them out. You would cut off their water supply or try to poison it. You'd make sure that no food could go in, no one could leave, no one could go in, and you would just starve the people to death until they surrendered. So you wouldn't even have to fight. So that's what's going on here in Samaria. This is a very drastic, awful situation because it says there's a great famine. There's not enough food. People are starving. And it says that a donkey's head sold for 80 shekels. Let me tell you this. They did not eat donkey's heads. Okay, and just in case you didn't get that. Okay, this was disgusting. In fact, it was against biblical law to eat a donkey's head. You didn't eat donkey. That was not kosher. That was against the, the dietary laws. But it said people would buy a donkey's head for 80 shekels. Now, it was only 150 shekels at the time to buy a live stallion. So, if think about that. Half of the cost of a live horse just to eat a donkey's head. There's very little meat on a donkey's head. People are starving. They're spending fortunes, everything they've ever earned to buy this stuff. And what's really interesting, it says a cab of seed pods. In the Hebrew, it actually says dove's dung. Now, some people have tried to translate and say, well, that's a name for a seed pod that they were eating. But maybe they were eating bird poop. Seriously. They were buying bird poop for what really would take months for a normal worker to save up just so they could eat and not die. This is a very terrible situation economically, Physically, they're starving. Things are very, very bad. But it gets worse. It gets worse. The king of Israel is walking along the outside of the wall, probably just surveying where the enemy is and camped there, just out of arrow range so they can't attack them. And the king's walking around, and a lady, a woman, calls out to the king and says, I need your help. I need your help. So the king listens to this woman. And she says, I need your help. Because we're hungry. And yesterday, I made a pact with my friend, another woman, and we both have sons. We both have sons, and we made a pact that we would eat my child today. And then tomorrow, we would eat her child. So yesterday, we killed and ate my son. And today, that woman has hidden her son. I just want that to sink in for a moment. This is like Donner Party, right? These people are so hungry and that they're going to drastic lengths. Once again, this is against dietary laws, if you couldn't pick that up. This is cannibalism. This is as worse and as depraved as humanity becomes because they were desperate. And what can the king do in that situation? He said, well, she, she gave her word. Let's eat her son too. Let's find it. No, there's nothing good that can come out of this situation. It is as terrible as life gets. And then the king is angry. And this is what he says. He says, when the king heard the woman's words, he tore his robes. He's mourning. He's sad. He's angry. And he said, may God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if the head of Elisha, son of Shaphat, remains on his shoulders today. What he's saying is he wants the prophet, Elisha, killed because they're in this drastic, awful situation. Now, we're going to talk about unbelief today quite a bit and why people believe and why people don't believe. But we see here one of the clearest examples of why someone would not believe in God. Because of how angry we get about the awfulness of the world. 
I love that the Bible's so honest. It doesn't like hide the fact that bad things happen. This is as bad as things get, right? A famine, a siege. People are going to die and they're willing to eat their own child. This is as bad as it gets, right? Human suffering does not get worse than this. And that's why the king is angry and it leads him. You can see this. He's not saying, let's get Elisha so we can pray and get out of this situation. He's like, no, I'm angry and I'm going to kill the one person who's close to God. This is what leads a lot of people to unbelief. The, the suffering and the injustices of our world. Let's be honest, I've talked with people. One guy said, you know, Matt, I, I, I thought about God a lot and I've studied it. This guy's very smart. I've read philosophy and I just, it's hard for me to think if there's innocent children suffering in the world, how could there be a God? Or how could at least there be a good God? That leads people to unbelief because they see that and think, how could things get so bad? And you can understand it, right? We get angry, don't we? When we watch the news, when we hear about things happening in our world in Parkland, Florida, we get angry. And it can lead us away from God. So he wants to kill Elisha now. And he actually sends one of his soldiers and maybe an assassin to go kill Elisha. But Elisha, because he has this connection with God, knows this guy's coming. So he tells his servants, okay, bar the doors. Don't let anyone in. So they come and then... Somehow, Elisha decides, okay, I'm going to go talk to the king and figure out. And, and this is what the king says to Elisha. The king says, the disaster, this disaster is from the Lord. He blames it all on God. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? So he's already been angry. He's led into unbelief because of the injustices of the world, the suffering in this world. And now he's saying, why should I wait for God to come through? And this is another reason why people are led into unbelief, isn't it? Waiting. Waiting. If you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. When you're waiting, you're like, why isn't God coming through? Why is it another month that we're not getting pregnant? Why is it another year that my child still hasn't come back? Or, or another year that I have to spend in singleness and feel lonely? Why is it another thing? And it keeps going on. Why can't these injustices be solved? Why are we still having gun violence in our country? It's just waiting. When is God going to act? When is he going to do something? And it can lead people to unbelief, can't it? This is challenging, isn't it? But Elisha says this in chapter 7, verse 1. He says, Hear the word of the Lord. About this time tomorrow, a sia, that's a weight, of the finest flour will sell for a shekel, and two sias of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. What he's saying is that tomorrow there will be relief. Tomorrow the economy will go back to normal. Stuff will sell for the right price. At a price where people can eat and not starve and not be led to drastic situations or be angry. There is salvation coming. This is the word of the Lord. That there is hope. That there is salvation. Now, the king heard this and he said, All right. It's about time. No, no, no. This was challenging, wasn't it? Because this was a word from God that there is salvation. There's a good news, right? And yet, even that, hearing the word... It's hard to believe. It's difficult. So we hear this in verse 2. The officer on whose arm the king was leaning. This was the same term used for Naaman, who was, you know, the, the general, the kind of the second in command of the king in Aram. So this is the second in command to the king of Israel. He's the top general, top official, top administrator, maybe like the secretary of state or vice president. He says to the man of God, look, even if the Lord should open up the floodgates of the heavens, could this happen? What is he saying? 
It's impossible. There's no way we could believe that. He has now become, this man has become a complete unbeliever. He said there's no way that God could save. Now, when I say that, that he's an unbeliever, he may have believed that a God exists. But even if that God exists, he can't be good. He can't come through with this. He says, even if the floodgates of heaven, so even if water poured out from heaven and we could grow the crops, it would still take a whole season for us to have enough food so we can eat because everything's eaten. We have no food left. There's no way possible that this could happen. This is unbelief. And what makes this unbelief worse is that he had just received a word from the Lord. That's the thing we're all waiting for, right? If God would just tell me, if he would just speak to me, if I could just see him, if I could just have this encounter with God, then I'd believe. But here this man has this encounter and still doesn't believe. And you'd say, well, he's kind of justified. (laughs) Things are pretty bad, right? You could see why someone would not believe in this situation. But Elisha says this to him. You will see it with your own eyes, answered Elisha, but you will not eat any of it. So this is a hard word, and in some days we have this because uh, we're not afraid of the Bible. Even though it has some hard words for us, we have to talk about it. And what Elisha is saying as the mouthpiece of God here is that if you don't believe, you won't receive This is what we need to learn here. There was salvation coming. The next day, in 24 hours, there would be salvation. And yet, for this man, in complete denial and unbelief, rejecting God, he would not get to receive it. So this is what we learn today as our big idea. That salvation is available to all, but only those who believe it will receive it. So things are bad. Things are terrible in our world, sometimes in our personal lives. But God says there is salvation for you. There is hope. There is new life that you can start new. You can have everything made. All your sins can be forgiven no matter what you've gone through. You can have a new life. You can have eternal life. You can have forgiveness and joy and peace. It's open to all. But only those who believe it will receive it. And this is a hard work, right? Because that man was told in his unbelief, you will see it, but you will not receive it. You know, Jesus tells a parable that I kind of think is playing back on this story or stories like it. Jesus tells a parable, I believe it's in Matthew um, chapter 20. I should look it up so I don't tell you the wrong story so you can read it. Matthew 24. Matthew 24. And Jesus tells this story about a king hosting a banquet. Some of you may remember this story. This king is throwing an enormous party it's just going to be the greatest party ever because it's his son getting married. He wants everyone to come and he sends out this invitation saying, hey, come to the party. You've you got to check this out. It's going to be a great party. But no one RSVPs. No one wants to go. So he sends out his servants again and he says, okay, tell them about how good the food is going to be. It's going to be the best food. We've got the top chefs in the world. This is going to be the best feast you'd ever have in the world. You've got to come. It's going to be an amazing party. Come on. And still, no one comes. That's the sad reality of unbelief. It is hard sometimes to believe. But God says there's salvation for all the hard things in the world. There is hope for all of them. There's there's a way to overcome it. But you have to believe. And yet still people say, no. I reject it. And that's what happened to this general in Israel. He rejected it.
In 2 Peter 3.9, we read that the Lord is not slow in doing what he promised. God is being patient with you. He does not want anyone to be lost, but he wants all people to change their hearts and lives. I bring this up because that waiting, that suffering that we go through, we're like, what's taking God so long? Well, maybe he's waiting so that you can believe and receive the eternal life he has for you. Maybe he's just waiting for you to RSVP to the party. Come on. I'm waiting. Come on. I'll take as long as it takes. God says that because he doesn't want anyone to perish. He doesn't want anyone to reject it and not receive this great party and this great feast that he has available. This salvation. He wants everyone to receive. That's the heart of God. And it's available to all people, it says. It says to all people. What's interesting about that parable that that Jesus says, and the reason why I bring it up when he tells that, that story of the king's banquet, is that after all the people who were invited reject God and or because God, of course, is the king in that story. But when all the people reject the king's invitation, he tells his servants, okay, now go out and find anyone you can. Just go out in the street. Go down to Colfax, and if you see people milling about, invite them to come to this party, because we've got a lot of food. We've got a big dance hall. We need to have this party. It's for my son. So the king goes out and, and with his servants, and they go and invite all these people, and they come. And that's what we see happen next in the story. It says... In verse 3, now there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. They said to each other, why stay here until we die? So let's go over to the camp of the Arameans and surrender. If they spare us, we live. If they kill us, then we die. These guys are saying, hey, we have nothing left. If we go into the city, we're going to die because there's no food. If we go over to the enemy, maybe we'll die. But maybe they'll give us a chance if we surrender. So they have nothing to lose, and they go out. And they sneak out in the middle of the night, and they crawl up to this Aramean camp. And when they get there, they see no guards. So they crawl a little bit closer, and they realize that there is no one there in the entire camp. They're gone. And it it says this in verse 8, The men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp, entered one of the tents, and ate and drank. Can you imagine how hungry and thirsty they were? They ate and drank. Then they took silver, gold, and clothes and went off and hid them. They returned and entered another tent and took some things from it and hid them also. These guys have it made. All of a sudden, they've gone from not even being able to be in the city because they're too poor to being as rich as you can imagine. And they're eating a feast. They're partying in this tent. And what they discovered was that the Aramean army had heard horses and chariots. Now, this is why I said maybe this story was taking place right after last week's. Because the the Aramean army, big, surrounding the city of Samaria, they heard these horses and chariots and they thought, "Uh uh-oh, it must be the Egyptians or the Hittites. Some other nation has come to rescue Israel. They have been their allies. And we're going to be destroyed. So they all fled. They were gone. They had heard these Horses and chariots. Maybe it was the chariots of fire that we talked about last week. The angel army of God. But they fled. They, they were terrified and they left everything. They left their food. They left their clothes. They left their weapons strewn about on the roads. And now these lepers come in and party. See how I could... Uh, I think there's that connection with that parable of Jesus. Jesus says, just go out and invite anyone you can find. Anybody off the street. Just get them in. We just want to have people at this party. And here are the lepers. And lepers in this day and age... They had a skin disease and they were rejected. They could not live among other people. They had to live in a separate leper colony. 
because they were unclean according to biblical law. These people were outcasts, rejected, and yet they were the people who got to party first. Isn't that amazing? I think it's interesting because these guys didn't even know about the prophecy from Elisha. They didn't know that there would be um, salvation the next day. They just said, we have nothing to lose. And I think that's the amazing thing because a lot of people come to faith. They leave unbelief and come to belief almost by accident. They stumble upon it. They get to that point that they're so desperate that they're willing to try anything. And that's when they're willing and their hearts are open to God. That's why the king said, just invite anybody. If the people I invited won't come, let's just get anyone we can. Because those who believe it will receive it. Thankfully, these uh, lepers kind of have a conscience and they're thinking about it after hiding all this money for themselves. And it, and it says in verse 8, I'm sorry, in verse... Um, <clears throat> let's, do we have the next one? Verse 9, yeah, here we go. Then they said to each other, what we're doing is not right. This is the day of good news and we are keeping it to ourselves. These lepers realize we've got to tell other people that this salvation is available. This party is waiting for us. This food, these drinks, these clothes, these riches are just sitting there. This treasure is available. We've got to tell somebody about it. And, and, and this is what happens when you begin to believe. Because you realize that what you have is too good to keep to yourself. And these lepers who a moment before had nothing... Now are rich, and they said, we've got to tell everyone about this treasure. That's what happens to us as we begin to believe. We have to tell somebody else. We have to invite somebody else to our Easter service, right? Because it's too good to keep for ourselves. So they go back, and they tell the king. The word gets back to the king after they tell the people at the gate, and the, the gate people take it to the king, and the king says, no, no, no. I think it's a trap. I think it's a trap. And, and he probably would be justified in thinking that, even though he had heard Elisha's prophecy. He said, it's a trap. They're waiting until we get out there, then they're going to attack us, and we're going to be completely obliterated. We have no hope. But one of his other officers, not that second in command, a different officer says, hey, what do we have to lose? We're going to die in here of starvation. At least send a few guys out there to check it out. So the king, even though he doesn't really believe, he says, maybe we'll just take a step. Maybe we'll just go out there and explore. So he sends out just a few guys out there. And I love that because this king is a lot like us. We, we say, I'm not sure if that's all true. If there really is salvation waiting for us, but I'll take a step. I'll take a step. And that's enough. That's enough because these uh, few guys go out there and they find that the Aramean camp is abandoned. There is food. There is gold. There is uh, weapons just strewn about free clothes and they follow all the way to the Jordan River probably a dozen miles and they find just clothes and weapons strewn about along the whole road the army is gone the battle's over Samaria is free there's been salvation so even though the king just had a little bit of an ounce of faith right maybe we'll just check it out he was able to experience the salvation too so that's what I want to challenge some of you guys today because you're saying hey I'm not sure I believe all of that stuff but maybe I'll just take a step. Some of you are here right now because of that step. You said, I guess I'll go to church this morning. But that's enough. Take that step. Take another step. For those of you, maybe come back next week. Maybe get into a community group or a Bible study. Start reading this yourself. Because just take a step of faith. Maybe it is true. And if it is, it's worth checking out. It's worth exploring. And that's what these guys do. And they go out there. And it says now in verse 16... 
Then the people went out and plundered the camp of the Arameans. So a sea of the finest flour sold for a shekel. And two seahs of barley sold for a shekel, as the Lord had said. If all the heavens opened up and poured down rain, there's no way we could grow crops quick enough so that our economy would be back to normal and there'd be enough food for everybody. But yet God still had a way, didn't he? He still figured out how to bring salvation out of the worst situation possible. He brought their suffering to an end. He brought them salvation. And these people, even though they were tentative, even though they were unsure and they didn't know, they were willing to check it out. And when they did, they were rewarded. That's why bring us back to that big idea. Salvation is available to all, but only those who believe it will receive it. It doesn't matter how much faith you have. You just need a little. You just need a little. It's never about how much faith you have. It's about the object of your faith. And the object of our faith God is reliable. He is able to save. So let's believe and receive. Let's believe it and receive it. In um, John chapter 1, verse 12, we read, But to all who believed Jesus and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. All that you have to do is believe, and then you can receive that salvation, the eternal life. Forgiveness. You know, we're not in a siege right now, though some of you may feel like it. But we need salvation from our sin, from the destruction, from the suffering in our lives and in our world. And God says, I have it available, but you must believe in Jesus Christ to receive it. You must believe in Jesus Christ to receive it. But what about that general who didn't believe? What happened to him? I said in our big idea, it's only those who believe will receive. So what happens to those who don't believe? Well, it says in verse 17 of the chapter, I'm sorry, verse 19. The officer had said to the man of God, look, even if the Lord should open up the floodgates of the heavens, could this happen? So pure unbelief. And the man of God had replied, you will see it with your own eyes and you will not eat any of it. And that is exactly what happened to him. For the people trampled him in the gateway and he died. He was standing there at the gate, in the way, so I think even at that moment he had unbelief. He was preventing people from going out to see this salvation. And the people were like, no, 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 we've got to get it. And they trampled him, and even though he could see that those tents were there, the armies were gone, he could not receive it. Now this is one of those terrifying words, right, from God, but we need to hear it because those who do not believe will not receive salvation. I know in our inclusive society today, nobody wants to hear this, but it's the truth. Only those who believe will receive. Those who do not believe will not. And a lot of people say, well, well, if I could just see, if I could just experience. But we have now this word from God. We have this word from God and still people reject it. Those of you who are here today, now you are without excuse because I'm telling you that Jesus Christ came to die for your sins to make a way for you to be saved. All that you have to do is believe and you will receive it. Nothing else, just believe. Now you are without excuse. Because that man, he heard the word of the Lord. He heard that salvation was coming and he did not believe. He rejected it. And that's why he did not get to experience the salvation that everyone else did. And that's a terrifying place to be. In in that parable that Jesus tells uh, 
of the, the king sending out invitations to this big party, right? You got to come to this banquet. You got to. What it says, it sends out his servants, and the people reject the servants, even kill them. And then it says, the king sends out his own son, thinking that if I send my son, these people will accept him. And then they'll come to the party, right? But what happened? The people killed the son. Jesus was telling this story, and he knew what was going to happen, but nobody else who heard that story when Jesus told it understood what he was talking about. But what Jesus was saying is that he was the son of the king. And he had come to tell people about the kingdom. This invitation to a party that's available to all. Salvation is ready. It's at hand. And yet people rejected him. They killed him. God was there among them, and they still rejected him. That's the reality, that people will have these experiences with God. Some of you will hear the gospel today, and it still won't be enough. And I hope that that won't be you. I hope that you will believe. Because it's those who believe will receive, and those who don't, won't. The saddest thing of all is that this man, this general, got to see the salvation, right? But he didn't receive it. And there will be a day on the last day that we will all have an opportunity to see, those who believe and those who don't. It says that the dead will be raised. Everyone, the righteous and the unrighteous, it tells us in Daniel 12 too. But not all will get to receive. All will see. It says in Philippians chapter 2 that every knee will bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There will come a day when everyone will see and know that it is true. That there is Jesus Christ who is Lord over all and we must submit to him. But sadly, those who have not chosen to believe will not receive it. Some of you say, well, well, why can't we just get a chance? Why can't someone like get to see that and come back and tell us? Well, that's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus did. In fact, in another parable that Jesus tells uh, of a rich man and Lazarus, it's a bizarre story that takes place in the Gospel of Luke chapter 16. Jesus is telling the story of a rich man who died and this other man who was very poor, a beggar named Lazarus, and he died. And the rich man can see, can see into heaven where this poor man is. And he calls out to Abraham, the great father of the faith, who's there in heaven. And he calls out, he says, well, you know, if someone from the dead, he says, goes to them, he's talking about his brothers, they will repent. Someone would just come back from the dead and tell people how bad it is if you don't believe. Then people will believe. And it says in Jesus' parable, Abraham said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Once again, Jesus is pointing forward that he would be the one to rise from the dead. And he appeared to over 500 people over a span of 40 days, conquering over death, proving that there's salvation available, and still people reject him. And I hope that's not you today. So if you're here right now and you're saying, I'm a believer, Matt, but I struggle with doubts and I struggle with unbelief. And in fact, there's been some periods in my life where I'm not even sure. Maybe right now that's where I am. I, I'm a Christian, but I'm still like, I don't know. What I want to say to you is, is belief, okay? It, figure out what doubts you have. Seek after those questions because there are answers or, or if they're not, you're going to get to a point where you can draw close to God and know that he is true. When, when we can't figure out some of the answers here on this earth. We can figure out try to figure out why is there suffering and we can try to understand it. Let's read the scriptures and try to understand it. Seek after those answers to the questions you have. But I do want to say this. The unbelief I'm talking about here is continual, constant rejection of Christ. Remember this man, he was even standing in the gateway, probably blocking people from going out to the salvation. He didn't believe. He rejected God up till the very end. Those are the people who will never receive. 
and I do not want that to be you. That should terrify all of us. It should. It is a uh, terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living God, it tells us in the book of Hebrews. And I want you all to believe today. So if you're here today and you're saying that I've never believed, I've never put my faith in Jesus Christ, I want to challenge you to do that today. Even if you just have a little bit of belief. If you're saying, I'm willing to take a little step of faith, do it today. Don't leave here without doing it. And as we have um, the band coming up, I just want us to take a moment right now to do that. If you're saying, Matt, uh, I have had some doubts, I have had some worries, but, but I, I do believe in my deepest part of my soul that, that God is real, that Jesus Christ had died for my sin. Just, just take this moment right now, and we're going to be in silence. Jesus, ask God to help you give you unbelief. There's, a, there's another great story where there's a man talking to Jesus. He says, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. Some of us are there, right? I believe, but help me in my unbelief. So let's just pray that if you're that Christian here today and says, I need some help to believe stronger. Because there are things in the world that I get angry about that I don't understand. Ask God to help you with belief. But if you're here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, but you want to, I want you to take time to say a prayer. And I'm going to lead you in this prayer. And it's a time for us to repent and acknowledge that God does exist and He will come into your life and give you salvation and eternal life. I'm going to say this prayer and you can just say it silently along with me. We're all going to have our heads back and our eyes closed so nobody around you sees you. But this is your chance to receive that salvation for yourself. So let's close our eyes. Let's bow our heads, please. And and if you're willing and if you're ready to believe today, would you say this prayer with me? Lord God, sometimes it's hard to believe. But today I declare that you are God. That your son Jesus did die for me. And I accept your salvation. I repent of my sins and receive your forgiveness. And I ask for your spirit to come into my life. Now with everybody's eyes still closed and their heads bowed, if you said that prayer today for the first time, would you please raise your hand? If there's anyone here, I just want to see your hand so I can be praying for you. And Lord God, for all of us here, um, for those people who have been, been challenged because they've struggled with doubts and worries, Lord, I pray that you'd lead us into a stronger faith than ever before. Because there is salvation available for all. That even when there is suffering and injustice and things like waiting that lead us into unbelief, I pray, Lord, that you would draw us back. That you realize that there is salvation, that there is hope, and we must believe in you. And I pray that you would raise our faith higher than it ever has been before. So that we would be like those lepers, willing to go out and tell everyone the good news. That Jesus Christ has died for our sins and risen from the dead. Lord, thank you for sending your Son to rescue us. Sending him as your love incarnate, coming down to save us. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen.